Merry Christmas. Holy Night is one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. And it got me to thinking that if Jesus was born at night, then maybe we should wait on Christmas Day to open all of our presents at night. Why are we opening them in the morning? How did that ever get started? So let's throw a hand from the kids. Kids, how many of you want to wait till Christmas night to open all your gifts? No takers? Parents, how many of you want to endure your children to wait till Christmas night to open your gifts? No. How many of you guys open gifts on New, New Year or New Year's? Christmas Eve night. How many of you guys do that? Okay, a few of you do that. I don't know which one's more biblically accurate to do. I don't, I'm not trying to make a, a statement on that at all. Um, but we are, are so thankful that you're here. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. This is one of our favorite Sundays uh, as a church body to get together, to celebrate Christmas, to remember Christ, our Savior being born. And it's just a wonderful time. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, but you can start in Matthew. Um, that's where we'll begin this morning. But as we've started our series in this following the life of Jesus, we are finally, finally at the point where Jesus' life begins on earth. Now we need to understand that Jesus is eternal, that uh, he has always existed and he will always exist, but his life beginning on earth is starting now as we're reading in our scriptures this morning. We've had a few weeks to prepare, a few weeks of setup, right? Preparing our hearts, veiled in flesh, and singing to the Lord. And now we are going to talk about Jesus coming. Now, how many of you think that the, uh, the setup to Christmas, the lead up of preparing, singing Christmas songs, uh, buying gifts, going to the um, stores and everything, seeing everything decorated, all the lights. How many of you think that that is almost better than the day of Christmas? Anyone? Okay, so we're in church. We're like, we maybe not want to admit that, right? Because Christmas Day is wonderful. But, I mean, we have this huge setup where we have weeks and weeks, and some of you, months, where you're listening to Christmas music to prepare. And then the day comes, the kids open their gifts in 10 minutes, and then you think, okay, well, now what? <laughs> It's done, right? The gifts have been opened and you're ready to start. Sometimes the setup, the preparation is almost more exciting than the day of. Now, back in these days, in Bible times, the setup, the preparation had kind of, the excitement had kind of gone down. Remember, 400 years of silence where people have lived their lives, come and gone, and the Messiah hasn't come yet. Over and over, this has happened year after year. Preparation, waiting, waiting. The excitement has gone down. So the day of when Jesus arrives, man, everything just explodes with excitement. It's a little bit different than maybe what we do nowadays. This book of the Matthew, remember, written to Jewish people. We see line after line, through the, especially through the first few chapters of Matthew, where we see the terms fulfilled prophecy. This happened. This was to fulfill the prophecy in this way. And we're going to look at that a little bit more next week. But from Abraham, we see the genealogy, Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to read through all those names because I can't pronounce half of them. But we have from Abraham to David 
from David to Jesus, think about the years that have gone by, the hundreds, the thousands of years that have gone by in this genealogy and nothing, the waiting, the waiting, but now he has come. And for all those people who are waiting, the generation after generation who have been waiting probably thought, is it really going to happen? This isn't happening in my timing. So really, does God know what he's doing? Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Does it seem like God had a plan? It seemed like this happened exactly as God knew it was going to happen, as he dictated was going to happen. So many people live their lives unsure, but God remembered the oath of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful to be here this morning, to be even on this side of Jesus coming to earth, that we've seen that it happened. We've seen that he has come. Lord, we rejoice in that. Thank you for allowing us to see that. Thank you for giving us these scriptures that help us to understand how this all came about. And Lord, as we read through this, as we seek to understand it, Lord, give us um, a heart of joy. Help us to trust and put our faith in this Jesus this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. So now he's here. He's here, finally. The series is going to go all the way through from he's here to he's not here. For he has risen as he said when we end on Easter. So keeping that all in mind, we're going to look at the story of how this son was given to us. For unto us a son is given. Now this is a story that is probably the most well-known story that we have in the Bible. I'm sure all of you know this very well. You've probably all heard this story hundreds of times before. Not just from the pulpit, but from Sunday school, from maybe you reading it in your homes each and every Christmas. But you come back. You're here. You knew we were going to be talking about Jesus coming to earth, and you're still here. You already know this story. Why do you come back? I think it's kind of like watching through the entire Star Wars saga every single year. Or especially leading up into this last Star Wars film that came out, which I am not going to spoil for you because I love you. That's why. Well, maybe it's not exactly like that, but we keep coming back to this story over and over again, even though we know it so well, because this is the greatest joy. <laughs> this is why we are here. Why we even come here to worship the Lord is because God became flesh and dwelled among us. So we're going to look at how this son was given. And we already read through Matthew chapter 1, this portion starting in verse 18. So we're not going to read it again together, but we're going to be looking at verses 18 through the end of the chapter. God has now appeared to Zechariah through the angel Gabriel. He has appeared to Mary. And now God is going to appear through an angel. We don't know exactly which angel. But he's going to appear to Joseph. Joseph, being a just man, 
knows that Mary was not caught in adultery. I believe that as we see from the scriptures here in verse 18, that he was, they were betrothed together, meaning that they weren't married. They weren't married, but this was enough of a commitment that they called each other husband and wife. Because we see in verse 19, her husband Joseph, even though they weren't actually officially married yet. This betrothal was very committed engagement. And so before they came together in verse 18, it says that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now we looked last week at Mary's character. She knew the scriptures well. It was clear that she loved God. And so Joseph being betrothed to her, would, you would think that he would know a bit about her character as well. So I believe that she, he didn't want, he wanted to divorce her quietly, knowing that she was with child from the Holy Spirit, believing her story, that he didn't want her to, in the culture that they had, for other people to think that they were being together, that they were committing adultery, maybe with together, um, outside of marriage. So that's why he wanted to divorce her quietly. That's why he had great fear of taking her as his wife, because he didn't want people to ruin her reputation, that her story might be made true. So he wanted to remove himself from that. Because look at verse 20. When the angel usually appears to people, usually they say, don't be afraid, and it's more of me, the angel. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of what's coming to you here in this message. But what does the angel say to Joseph? He says in verse 20, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That's a little different than what is normally said. Usually it's don't be afraid of what news I'm going to bring to you. But here, there must have been some fear of Joseph taking Mary as his wife because he didn't want maybe her reputation to go down. He didn't want maybe his reputation as well to be tied to that to go down. And so he was comforted by the angel and then he went and did just as the angel said, because he was a just man. He wanted to obey the Lord. And the angel said that they should call his name Jesus because he will take away their sins. And all this was to fulfill, in verse 22, what the Lord has spoken. Now flip over with me to Luke chapter 2. This is probably the most familiar nativity story in our scriptures in luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 we find god sovereignly moving in the life of caesar augustus to force a census mary and joseph were not around bethlehem they weren't close to being there they had no reason to go back to that little town and so how would they get there how could scripture again be fulfilled of jesus being born in bethlehem if they weren't even close to being there? Was it just random? Was it just a coincidence that Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, declared for there to be a census to be taken? For everyone to go to their homes? Was that just a coincidence? Absolutely not. Look at the power Caesar has in verse 1. He declared that all the world should be registered. That's some power. That's some authority that this man has to declare for the entire world to do something. And yet, who was really in control? God. It's clear that God was in control. Because God promised a lot of things. And these are all going to be fulfilled in Christ. 
that God promised that Jesus would be a human from Genesis 3, 15, the very beginning of our scriptures. That he'll be from Judah, Genesis 49, 10. That he'll be from the line of David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. That he'll be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. That he'll be born in Bethlehem, where we find ourselves today in Micah 5, 2. Hundreds and some of these thousands of years before, God promised that this would happen in this way, and it did. Because God is God. God rules over even the most powerful person on planet Earth at the time. God is in control. God is sovereign. And we can be thankful for that, can we not? So then the angels appear to the shepherds. Let's pick it up in verse 8. The same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for, I behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is, th- is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will happen, this will be a sign for you, and the baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I get this picture. Have you ever, like, given some, some news, right, to somebody, and maybe your spouse knows the same news, it's really exciting that you want to share, and you start telling the story, you start sharing about what's going to happen, and then your spouse just can't handle it anymore, and they just jump in and tell the good news that's going to happen. That's what I picture is happening here in this text. That we have this angel who's telling the shepherds this wonderful news. The angels have been waiting for this day for a long time. They have been waiting in that throne room, singing praises to God, knowing that this was going to be happening. They have been in the presence of Jesus. Been in the presence of Jesus in heaven, waiting for this day to come. And here we have one angel coming. He says, okay, fear not, for our behold, I bring you great news. I can just imagine the other angels kind of like, come on, say it. Let's go. And then the angel keeps going on. Be for great joy for all the people. And he's like, okay, come on. He's like, this is finally here. It's finally happening. He's like, he's born this day in the city of David. And you're like, come on. Like, Listen, want to jump in here? He's like, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Like, they just can't help themselves. Because it says, and suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly foes. Everybody wants in on this. To say glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among whom, among those whom he is pleased. They couldn't help it. Jumping in, it's like... Finally, let's go. Let's say Jesus is here. And there was so much joy that they had waiting for this day. Because it's a remarkable, wonderful, miraculous day that Jesus has come to earth. This message, glory to God in the highest. Who else is the glory going to go to? Who else would this glory be for if not for God? It says, on earth, peace. But peace to who? Who receives this peace on earth? 
It's those with whom he is pleased. This message of peace is for those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus for salvation. That's who it's for. It's only for those who are saved by faith in Jesus. Because in Hebrews eleven six it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. So with whom would God be pleased? With those who have faith in this Jesus. Because there are many who saw Jesus come and saw Jesus go and they did not put their faith in them, in him. Is God well pleased with those individuals who rejected Christ? So the shepherds, they came, they saw Jesus, and then they went back and they started talking about the weather. (laughs) They went back to their conversation about their favorite Jerusalem sports team and how they're doing. What do they do? (laughs) They leave and they're telling people about what they had seen Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And then verse 20, the shepherds returned and they started glorifying and praising God. Their conversation changed. (laughs) Their heart attitude changed. And why? Because they saw Jesus. They were with Jesus the Savior. It changed their attitude. It changed what they were talking about. They were just sitting watching their sheep like they do hundreds and hundreds of times. Nothing new there. They probably ran out of things to talk about as they watched their sheep. But now there's news of Jesus Christ, the Savior. They can't help but glorify and praise God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Praise praise the Lord for this Jesus. And so not only that, not only is who that Jesus is, who is the son? Who is the son that is given? First, he is God with us. We're going to look at these words that are given to Jesus in this Christmas nativity story. In Matthew chapter 1, you don't have to flip back there, because we're going to be a little bit more here in chapter 2 of Luke. But in Matthew chapter 1, he says that you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God with us with us. Pastor Kyle did an excellent job in his sermon leading up of Jesus, God, who is veiled in flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is not merely a change in location for Jesus. It's not just that. But he did come. He did dwell among his creation. He did live among his people. He lived as fully God and fully man. And as he lived, he was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. So we don't have this high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. When Jesus comes and dwells among us, it's not just that he is physically present here on earth. He lived in this sin-cursed world just like you and I live in. And so as he was tempted in every way, he was without sin. So that's why we draw close to the throne of grace. That's why we can receive mercy. Now, whenever you have a problem in your life, 
do you go to your children for help? As an adult, you're ever having problems at work and you say, hey kids, can you help me out with this? Probably not, because they don't know. If you have a problem at work, you should probably go to the boss. <laughs> they might be able to help you. <laughs> they might be able to help fix the problem or help you work out whatever is going on. You go to somebody who has been there and done that, right, and who has done it well. If you don't know how to do something. We have lots of problems in our lives. Even around Christmas time, it might bring up a whole lot of issues that are going on. Now, who should we go to for help? We go to the one who's been there and has conquered. Who has been there and he was without sin. He's gone through the struggles that you go through. And he was without sin. He came and dwelt among us. Don't ever think that God, that Jesus, doesn't get it. Don't ever think that he is unaware of the struggles you're having. He is Emmanuel. Cast your cares and cast your burdens on him. Give your life over to him. Not only because he did dwell here physically, but because then he will dwell in you. As it says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This Emmanuel will dwell in you. Which enables him to say, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And this enables you to no longer have a spirit of fear. One of power and love and self-control, because he is with you. No more worrying about being alone for the holidays. Your Jesus, he is Emmanuel. He is with you. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, he is with you. He is God with us. Glory to God in the highest. He is also the deliverer, <clears throat> the savior of the Lord, the world. And this is where we take from Luke 2, verse 11. This is where we see the other three words that are titles that are given to Jesus, Savior, Christ, and Lord. So he is the Savior. He is the one to deliver us. This is why they called him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This joy that will be for all people is that a Savior has come. And a Savior is not just for the Jews, but also for us Gentiles. It's not just for the rich, but for the poor. The difficult news in this is, that was, I mentioned earlier, is that not everyone will experience this peace. Not everyone will experience this delivering from sin. While Jesus did come, not everyone recognizes Jesus as the Savior. And if you do not place all of your faith, trust, and hope in this Jesus then sadly you are not going to be rejoicing this day. For what have you to rejoice in? Maybe your good works. We know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's not of works. Salvation is not of works so that you can't boast about it. It is by grace through faith. Maybe you're thinking you're not that bad off. Sure, you do some bad things here and there. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says that you're dead in your sins. This is how we start out, as dead in our sins. But the good news is that there is hope for you. 
even if you're sitting here right now thinking, I haven't recognized Jesus as my Savior, you can do that this morning. Just turn from your sin, saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I give my life to you. You are my Savior. I cannot do this on my own. And you can do that right where you are. I encourage you, I challenge you, please take a look at your life. Take a look at Jesus. What did he come to do? He came to save. He was called this, uh, the Savior, only one other time in the Gospels outside of this nativity story. Isn't that kind of shocking? A little bit to know that he was only called the Savior one other time in the Gospels outside of the nativity story. And he was called this after he, Jesus had an interaction with a sinner. Jesus confronted this sinner with their sin. He told this person all that they had done. This person was shocked by it. This person was an outcast because everyone in town, they knew what she had done. And then Jesus said to her, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to say to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water he doesn't just come to say you're just a sinner too bad for you he comes to save he said if you would have asked i would have given you living water she then responds a little bit later saying i know that the messiah is coming he who is called the christ and when he comes then he will tell us all things and then jesus said to her to her i who speak to you am he that's when this woman at the well went into town, telling everybody what she had just heard. This could be the Christ. Come and hear. And then in John 4, 42, the people who came, they listened to her story, then they listened to Jesus. He says, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's the only other time in the Gospels that he's called this Savior. And what a beautiful moment it is, too, right? This horrible sinner, confronted on their sin, didn't just say, you don't know me, get away. She said, yes, I have sin, and you can save me from that. You can give me this living water. You are the life. And her heart was changed. And many other people were changed because of her testimony. But in the rest of the New Testament, we see often that Jesus is called the Savior in Acts, Ephesians, and Titus, and Peter, many other places. And in 1 John 4.14, it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The term Savior, while it's not used that often, it's the reason why he came. He came to be the Savior. He came to deliver us from our sins. Jesus came to do something. Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came for you. He came for sinners like you and me to save us. He is the deliverer. Glory to God in the highest. He is also the anointed. The term Christ means Messiah or the anointed one. And we see this used over 500 times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see anointing happening a lot. 
Uh, so this is something very familiar to the Jewish people, this anointing, this term Christ, this term Messiah. In Exodus 30, we see that the tent of meeting, the place that God has set up to where he is going to dwell, we say they, that was to be anointed to consecrate it, to set it aside, to mark it as holy, of having a di- different purpose than any other place that they were going to meet together. In that same chapter, we then see Aaron and his sons being anointed, being consecrated and set apart be, to be the only ones who can handle those holy things for God. We see Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9 being anointed, set apart to be the first king of Israel. We see David being anointed in 1 Samuel 16. This anointing was so important as coming from the Lord, this anointing from God for a specific person to do something is so important that David, when he cut the robe of Saul, do you remember what he said? I mean, Saul was trying to kill him. And he only cuts his robe, he feels terrible about it because he said, I just cut the robe of God's anointed. This is where Saul was doing some evil things, and yet he was still God's anointed, set apart for specific purpose, called by God. Now Jesus is called by God. He is the anointed one. Jesus was appointed by God for the task of saving sinners. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God sent Jesus, appointed him, anointed him for this specific purpose, that we might be saved. In Ephesians chapter 1, says, according to his purpose. It's talking about from before time began, before the foundation of the world, God had chose us in him. And he says, and according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God had this planned out and had set Jesus apart, anointed him to be the one who is going to go and save his people. He is the anointed. Glory to God in the highest. And he is Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. As we continue through these word studies, this word Lord appears so many times. I the, kept you know, trying to search out how many times it's coming up. It took too long, and so I got impatient didn't figure out how many times it was said. The word Lord is given a lot of times in scripture. It means supreme in authority. And so putting this label on Jesus, that he is Christ the Lord, is putting him on the same level as God. That he is sovereign. That he is in control of all things. Now I did look up the word sovereign. I hope you're not getting too bored with these, these words and how many times they appear. But I want you to ask yourself, think, how many times do you think the word sovereign appears in the Bible? Sovereign or sovereignty? I'll give you a hint. It's less than what you think. (laughs) Three times. Isn't that surprising? On my search list that came up, it said only three times. I'm like, how is that only a few times in Scripture mentioned? It really surprised me because everywhere in Scripture, it screams the sovereignty of God. 
from the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1, what do we see happening? God creates the heavens and the earth. God sovereignly decrees this is what he's going to do. At the very end of scripture, we have Jesus coming soon and all in Revelation. We see God orchestrating things. God is the sovereign. God is in control. God is the one who is in charge. In every line throughout the Old Testament stories that we see, we see God working all things for his glory. It is clear that he is sovereign. And now this label is given to Jesus here when he's born as a baby in a manger. He is Lord. He is God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see that he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He is the sovereign. Glory to God in the highest. So we've heard the story. You've heard it again this morning. What will you do with it? It's a familiar story to us. Will we confess this as it confesses in 1 Timothy 3? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He has manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is our Jesus. Not just a baby in a manger. Not just a cute story. But because we know the end of it. We know the end of the story. We know what he's going to do through his life. We know that he will save us through his death and resurrection. We know that life is only found in him. The sovereign anointed deliverer is with us. All in the person of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Now as we close, I want us to, um, we're going to read through Psalm 148. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want you to come in in verse 13 and 14. It'll make a note at, on the screen. But I want us to stand together. Because this is glory to God in the highest. Jesus has come. We're going to praise the Lord. Go ahead and stand with me as we read this. Follow along. I'm going to read the first few verses. We want to praise our Lord with our lips. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun, moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him in the highest heavens. And you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures in all deeps. Fire and hail. Snow and mist. Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills. Fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Now I want you, ooh, that got cut off a little bit there, didn't it? Sorry. But I want you to say this with gusto, okay? 
as if Jesus has come to earth and dwelt among us. Let's say this together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He raised up the horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. You know the last part. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, all glory goes to you. You have sent Christ. You have sent him, your son, who is fully God, fully man, to be the savior of the world. We celebrate that this morning. We are thankful so much for Christ. All glory goes to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.